Welcome to Six Degrees of Roger Nielsen, featuring Vinnie Maltz and presented by Bloodline Hockey. Each episode, we'll dive into discovering meaningful stories and connections that have helped hockey coaches and players shape their professional philosophies and personal character through the art of sport. Our show is designed to honor one of the greatest pioneers of coaching innovation and connection, Coach Roger Nielsen. Hi, guys, and welcome to another episode of Six Degrees of Roger Nielsen. I am your host, Coach Vinnie Maltz. As most of our listeners are already aware, the Roger Nielsen's coaching clinic has been officially canceled for this year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So we adapted quickly and created the Roger Nielsen's Coaches Connection. It's a private Facebook community designed to continue to provide our coaches out there a place to connect, learn, and inspire each other during this very challenging time for people across the globe. If you would like to join us in our private group, just search Roger Nielsen's Coaches Connection on Facebook and simply ask to join the group. Uh, we've had some incredible presentations and guest speakers that we know any coach would not want to miss out on. Uh, one of our latest initiatives is a Friday afternoon program called Coffee with Coaches. We bring in special guest coaches and players to share their wisdom with our coaching community, and we give our coaches a chance to ask our special guest questions uh, they may have about the game. We'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Bloodline Hockey. Bloodline Hockey has been at the forefront of developing and pioneering a mental performance mindset shift for players, coaches, and parents worldwide. If you are a coach, player, or parent looking for mental performance programming specific to the hockey culture, please visit bloodlinehockey.com to learn more about how Bloodline Hockey can assist your mental performance needs. Welcome to our 10th episode of Six Degrees of Roger Nielsen. Today we interviewed Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Dr. Hardy is an organizational psychologist and best-selling author of Willpower Doesn't Work. His blogs have been read by over 100 million people and are featured on Forbes, Fortune, CNBC, Cheddar, Big Think, and many others. He is a regular contributor to Inc. and Psychology Today. And from 2015 to 2018, he was the number one writer in the world on Medium.com. He and his wife, Lauren, adopted three children through the foster system in February 2018. And one month later, Lauren became pregnant with twins who were born in December of 2018. They now currently live in Orlando. Dr. Hardy's latest book, Personality is Impermanent, debunks the pervasive myths of personality that have captured pop culture. For example, personality tests like Myers-Briggs are not only psychologically destructive, but are no more scientific than horoscopes. Personality is Impermanent provides science-based strategies for reframing past memories, becoming the scribe of your identity narrative, upgrading your subconscious, and redesigning your environment. When you know the truth of personality, Desired personal change can be dramatic and directed. When you don't, personality is something you seek to discover rather than create. This was such an important conversation for coaches because we know, all know how easy it can be to label a player and lose sight of the dynamic nature we are all experiencing during the season. This was an eye-opening discussion that we know will help quite a few coaches become better for our culture. All right, so excited to have Dr. Ben Hardy with us today. This should be a lot of fun. It's uh, so doc. One of the things that was pretty cool was that we had a, I did one of the presentations at the Roger Nielsen coaches clinic last year. And I actually brought up your book of willpower doesn't work. So it was a lot of fun to be able to have you on here and talk about the different parts from the environmental factors. And obviously, you know, talk about your new book, personality isn't permanent and get into all that, but I'm excited to have you on here and thank you for taking the time and joining us today, Ben. Totally. No, happy to talk about, you know, both of these books and happy to talk to your audience. So really cool to meet you, man. Beauty, beauty. So in, in jumping in, one of the things that I always like to talk about with coaches, right, and talking about their history a lot, 
uh, as you get into this. So when you talk about like the influences, right? Like a lot of times we talk about with coaches and what was their influence growing up and why they got into coaching and all that, you know, describe for us of what was the influence that got you into being an author and organizational psychology? Like why specifically that versus other parts of psychology and all that? So talk about your influence growing up. I'd love to hear that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So I mean, I, I grew up in a rough environment, pretty chaotic. My my father got to, uh, my parents got divorced when I was 11, which was huge. You know, obviously that's kind of a huge thing for anyone. <laughs> I was the oldest yeah. of three. Uh, it kind of kind of really opens you up that the world isn't exactly how you thought it was. But my mm-hmm. my parents' divorce led my father to becoming an extreme drug addict, and obviously this isn't specifically what led me to organizational psychology, but it's one of the things that led me down a path. And so anyways, over all of my junior high and high school years, I was in a very chaotic environment. They call that lower T trauma, where there's just no stability. And so you're kind of in a survival fight or flight state all the time. Uh, You really need like structure to many degrees in order to have the confidence to then go and take risks or to like develop your individuality. I didn't have that. And so anyways, I find myself, I barely ended up graduating high school, find myself at about age 19, living at my cousin's house, playing World of Warcraft all day, just really purposeless, and was noticing that most people around me were quite the same way, um, just not really stoked or excited about the trajectories uh, that I was seeing in family, friends, things like that. What it ultimately led me to doing was leaving. So my younger brother, he ended up joining the Marines. I ended up actually serving a church mission just to kind of get a fresh start, leave the environment. Um you know, put myself in a new role and a new identity with a new purpose around new people with new leadership. And it was really good for me. It had a structure and it allowed me, I, I, uh, you know, I did obviously a lot of community service and stuff like that. I read a lot of books, spiritual books, but psychology books, business books. I mean, I was just reading all sorts of stuff. I I learned how to journal during that experience Mm -hmm. and kind of re-remember some of my experiences, kind of let go of some of the things that were holding me back and also had some really good leadership that helped me to you know, build a sense of vision. Like, for example, I, I wouldn't have gotten the PhD if I hadn't had that experience because one of my leaders in that experience, uh, he kind of told me that I should get a PhD, honestly. Mm, like he was like, he, cool. well, he, didn't, he didn't specifically say that, but he said you should get as much education as you can. He, and like being in those types of experiences and with leaders that can help you build a sense of self-value, he helped me to kind of let go because I was pretty pretty limited in how I saw myself and in the world because of my former experiences. Mm. So I came back from that experience a totally different person, but I quickly saw that my friends, family and stuff like that couldn't see me any other way from how they formerly saw me. Like, you know, I came back home and like my high school friends couldn't comprehend the experiences I had or the change I had experienced. And so they saw me the same way. Um, So ultimately I chose to surround myself with different people, um, go to, you know, study psychology because I just watched myself change so much. And so, you know, why I chose organizational versus something else, I really enjoyed kind of the training aspect, training, development, leadership, and like group dynamics um, and team dynamics. And so that's really what led me to organizational of all things. I was thinking about going like more of a therapeutic route, but I really like business. I like organizations. I like groups. I like leadership. I like motivation. So that's kind of why I went the the motivational, I mean, the uh, organizational perspective. Love it. Love it. One of the things that's really interesting is when you bring up how people couldn't change how they formerly saw me. I think that's something that all coaches can relate to, uh, that we all struggle with in some way. Like I know from from a personal standpoint, for me, it's a struggle of what people knew as growing up, right? Because I was... If if I had a coach that I loved, I would go through the roof. If I had a coach that I, I, I couldn't stand, 
I would do all kinds of crazy stuff. And just my personality was just completely out of whack, right? All based off of who the totally. coach and the personality was. And so it's interesting. So of, true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And you talk about that, about like how important that is. So it's, you know, what's interesting about for coaches, right? Right off the bat, we can jump into of what is that part for coaches to be mindful of in their process of how, how can they take that type of knowledge? What do they need to pay attention to in their own biases and their understanding of when you have a player that you're working with? So like as an example in the hockey world, right? A lot of times what happens is you have a label that you put on a player at, at, when you first get them. And this is it. This is what I see that player as. And I deal with this a lot with our players of where, well, the coach thinks I'm this, but he doesn't see that I can be this as well. And this is a big issue, right? That's inside of sports in general of where when a coach sees that. So let's discuss a little bit about that of how can, what can a coach do to kind of maintain and try to avoid going down that rabbit hole, especially for ones that are coaching younger players where you don't want to put them into that, into, into that pocket and just not allow them to grow. But then also understanding that you are a leader and as a coach, you got to be mindful of that process of your own reality of, of being a leader that you have, you have to be conscious of not being, you know, being careful of not putting players into those, you know, little labels. And so I'd love to get right into that of environmentally. What can we do about that? Yeah. I mean, I find it interesting that often when I'm talking to someone who teaches or coaches young kids, they quickly develop fixed mindsets about those kids. Uh, I, I find that that's common. Like, for example, I was recently work, working, I was, I'm in a part of like a, an entrepreneurial coaching company. Mm -hmm. And one of the people that works there uh, was a teacher for like 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I've spent a lot of time talking to her about her perspectives of people and how radically different they are about mine. Mm -hmm. But she, even though she's in an entrepreneurial coaching company, she actually has a really fixed mindset about people. She, but, but I think that was in part due to her being a teacher of young kids for 20 years, because when you're obviously working with young kids, of course they have characteristics. Of course they have habits and patterns and things like that. Um, there's obviously broader reasons why they have those habits and patterns. Um, but of course, every single person has habits and patterns and every person has a personality. But the problem is that you think that that's actually the thing that that you think that that's permanent. Um, right. And so so I'll kind of explain why why labeling doesn't really work or it's not really that helpful. So from like a therapeutic standpoint, there's a lot of research that talks about how like therapists, as an example, they have criteria that lead to like a diagnosis, you know, like you you know, it's, it's, it's helpful to have categories to like help yourself understand or explain things. But the moment that they give that diagnosis to the, to the patient, it becomes detrimental to the future of the therapy. Because then what happens is the patient adopts the mindset or the label as an aspect of their identity. And what happens then is, is that you see the world through the perspective of the label. And then that leads you to being mindless. That leads you to, to essentially justifying the label and then potentially even pursuing goals that that compound or that um, support the label. So what happens is, is so like they call it uh, selective attention in psychology, but mm -hmm. think about it, think about it in the way that like, if you buy a car, you start to see the car everywhere. You know what I mean? Yep. Like oh, if you yeah. buy a car, you start to see the car everywhere. Particular activating. Oh yeah. System, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you're driving and you see the car everywhere, but you don't notice that there's like 500 cars all around it that you're not noticing. And so what, what Ellen Langer, and she's a Harvard psychologist who's been studying mindfulness for about 40 years, uh, I recommend her book, Mindfulness and Counterclockwise. And they talk about how role and environment completely shape who you are in many oh, ways. Yeah. But um, mind uh, labels, and she's found this abundantly, labels lead to mindlessness. Mindlessness of all of the times when the label isn't true. 
it's like it, all you can see is the car that you're paying attention to, which is the label. That's why they create tunnel vision. So what she's found is that people, if they define themselves as depressed, they will believe that they're always depressed, even though there are many, many times throughout a given day when they're actually not feeling depressed, but they don't they don't attend to those. They don't pay attention to those. Mm. Um, and so labels really lead to mindlessness. And then ultimately they lead to a fixed mindset that the label is who you are and that you then should su- set goals that support the label rather than setting goals to change the label or to you know, or to grow out of it. Like rather than setting goals that you want, you set goals to confirm the bias. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How would you say that for a coach that's listening, right, to be able to resist against that, you know, what would be something that to pay, be mindful of and pay attention to, to help you resist in the moment, right? Because there's so much pressure and it's high end, especially like it's a little bit easier for our youth coaches in terms of being mindful of certain parts of, okay, a player is a player where they are now, but especially if you're dealing with our adult coaches, right? They're dealing with professionals and all that stuff. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, differences. Yeah. So I'd love to hear more about that of, you know, what kind of things can you to resist it or to be mindful of in your own process? Yeah. I mean, a really good concept that I have is like literally measuring recent progress, like literally. So, so Dan Sullivan, he's the founder of strategic coach. This is a coaching company for entrepreneurs who are very highly successful, you know, obviously a different situation than coaching hockey players, Mm -hmm. but to some degree similar. And so one of the things he teaches, and I found this to have a lot of, you know, efficacy or support is like every, let's just say 30 to 60 days, like measuring the progress, like measuring. I think that this doesn't happen enough is, taking the time to actually see how that player has changed in the last six months or not six months in the last 30 to 60 days. Like if you actually take the time and look at how has this player developed or changed um, in, you will notice a lot more, you will notice a lot more progress probably than you take, than you you're taking for granted. Um, that's, that's a big one because, you know, and this is true for me as a parent, like it's very easy to, especially for me, cause I adopted three kids straight out of the foster system and you know, we've had them for five years and it's easy for me to just have a certain perspective of each of the children. Like, oh, Caleb is lazy and he's going to always try to get out of work. Like, it's easy for me just to to, to see that. And my wife was my wife always catches me. She's like, you are you're always assuming the worst mm. in what his motives are. And she's like, she spends a lot more time with him because she now homeschools him, especially given the current situation. But she's she also does homeschool him. Mm. And so like it's good to have a feedback loop as well. Like other people around you to catch you when you jump straight into those biases. Like my wife catches me quickly when I'm like, when she sees me going into a reactive mode, she's like, stop. She's like, you're, you're going at it from the perspective that he's trying to get out of this and stuff like that. It's like, he's not that way. Like, you know, and, and, and so then you can quickly catch yourself and then you can notice obviously that that's not always true. Like for example, with my son, he's not always trying to get out of work. He's not always lazy. In fact, there's a lot of times, even yesterday, uh, he was incredibly ambitious. He woke up and was amazing for almost the whole day. And then obviously like most people, he went into a slump. And so, um, I think catching your language patterns, I think often when we have like a a really narrow bias of someone, we actually always talk to that bias. Like we're always talking to them. Like, why are you always doing this? We're like, you know, we're always kind of like reinforcing it to be honest. And so, um, it's good to step back from that and then to support kind of where you're striving to help them go. Like rather than your, your language being all about stopping them from being how you see them. It's all about opening up and helping them go the direction you want to go or the direction they want to go. And it really opens you up. I mean, when I'm a lot more patient with my son, as an example, like I can move him in the direction he wants to go in the direction I want him to go. When I, when I'm just stuck in the bias, 
I become very bad at coaching him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I totally feel you on that. And, and it's interesting, right? And we can jump into, you know, one of the things that you had talked about, more part doesn't work, was visualizing the process and not just the outcome. Sure. And, and I found that to be very powerful for me in my morning routine of when I'll literally, and I've told this to coaches and teach my players this, of I will literally visualize seeing myself of how I'm reacting to my daughter mm. of when she's screaming. And this is a good one. Yeah. yeah. And wanting to show her love and not getting angry because I know from my bias, it's for me, it's right away to, I have this instinctive when there's yelling, it's just right away. Like, ah, oh, stop. <laughs> I might be from my grand, my Russian grandmother back in the day of just screaming and yelling. And now I've got the sensitivity to it. Who knows? But, but it's interesting of now when the visualization process, right. Of when that process, and that's a big thing that we're always helping our players understand is that, yeah, you can think about playing, okay, I'm scoring a lot of goals. I'm in the NHL and this is amazing. There's tons of fans screaming. But a big part we always bring them back to is, but what's your day-to-day of the process of what's about to happen that you're dealing with now? Not the future of just, it's, a, it's okay to see that. That's one form of visualization. But then there's the other form that's really important of, but today, what do I have to deal with now? In the now that I know my day-to-day reactions. I'd love for you to touch on that because I think that's a big part that I'd love for coaches to really understand is that when you understand yourself better, you realize you have to play off of and visualize these actual scenarios for yourself now that you're going to play into now of whoever you're dealing with and all that stuff. So I'd love to dive into that. Totally. I love this. I love this. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm a big, I love the conversation of the goal shapes the process Mm -hmm. and then the results along the way shape Mm -hmm. the development of the process. Mm -hmm. Uh, But The concept that you're describing is called implementation intentions, which is in psychology. It's essentially, yeah, visualizing all of the, visualizing and pre-planning, becoming aware of all of the things that could impede you from achieving your goal. So a lot of those, especially for yourself, have to do with when you get in the way. So like basically thinking about all of the scenarios when things might fall apart. So just as you've said, like when X happens, I know I'm going to get mad. (laughs) I know I'm going to freak out and it's going to be detrimental to the morale of the team and things like that. And so rather than just becoming reactive to the situation, you actually make a pre-planned response to what you will do if X occurs. Mm -hmm. So if X occurs, if this player says this thing or does this thing, and you know, I know in the past it's, it's led me to being upset or even just planning, like what happens if we fail? What happens if we lose the game? Like literally just thinking about all the scenarios along the way and then you think about how do I want to respond to this situation? Like what? So it's creating an intentional response to something when 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 something falls apart. It's like in a really easy way of thinking about this, like in a behavioral standpoint. It like because we all have lots of triggers that we create, and then we begin acting unconsciously. And so we we do this about every aspect of our life. Like every time, for example, you walk into that office, mm-hmm. <laughs> you then go through a pattern. Like every time I, you know, you've got these triggers that then lead you to a certain way. And so you need to be aware of the triggers. Like every time I walk into my kitchen, I guarantee I have thoughts about food. And then Mm -hmm. I probably walk to the fridge and things like that. And so it's being aware of the triggers and just Mm -hmm. thinking about how you want to respond. Um, Just as an example, like I used to back at my old house when I was in Clemson, every time I'd walk into my kitchen and I caught myself, I, I got into a bad habit of just like, moseying around and eating junk food and so my pre-planned response was every time i walk into the kitchen and i then get triggered to want to eat food i drop and do 20 push-ups like that Mm. then became my automated response out of just walking you know mindlessly to eat junk food which then led me to not doing what i want to do so implementation intentions is really powerful because you want to think about all the obstacles like you're going to fail many times along the way 
And it's mostly your response to those obstacles that's going to figure, like lead you to what, whatever the successful result's going to be. And so if you can then be proactive and intentional about how you respond to all the negatives along the way, your response is going to propel you and your team forward versus you keep just creating a lot of negative patterns that slow your team and your own progress down. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I love that. I love that. And I think the biggest part that's difficult, right, and and going into from visualizing, put it together is the ego. Um, one of the things when you think about coaches in general, right, a lot of people you know, will tell you coaches have huge egos and all this stuff. And it's a mixed bag, right? Some, yeah, have huge egos and they can't get out of their own way. And others, they get it. They understand how to release it. Yeah, talk about that part of it, of understanding that other layer of how you can dive deeper into that, of understanding your own ego from as you're going into it. And if, if we're talking about the, you know, from a visualization standpoint and really understanding yourself, how much that plays into your reaction, because as coaches, that's the biggest part that we're always trying to influence coaches to understand is that, and we don't want to get into labels, but at the end of the day, you did pick the leadership role and say, I want to be a coach. And the big, the big battle that goes on inside, you know, the coaching world is winning versus development. And the thing that I always try to point out to coaches is, you know, development leads to winning. And, but if you go in with the mindset of just winning, 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 then the ego takes over and it puts you into this other frame of mind that is harder to manage versus the development part, where if you understand that I'm here to guide you, I'm here to lead you and help you whatever way I need to. It's not about my success. It's about our success. Are you talk about any of those pieces of that you found from an ego standpoint that for coaches to be mindful of in their own process of how they can check it and be mindful of not just of how the biases against players and how they're visualized, but for themselves of what are the things, anything else that they can dive into to understand? Is it, is it your take on how you want to see it or is it what's best for the people that you're leading? is kind of where I want to go into this of get your perspective on that. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I think that it's good to realize that in certain situations, like it's first off important to realize that you don't have all the answers as the coach. Yeah. Like, I think that that's crucial. Um, like you, I mean, I have coaches, <laughs> I've got plenty yeah. of coaches and, uh, and they don't have all the answers for me. And I am a coach in many ways. And I think that it's helpful to realize that sometimes you're not the person in a given situation to actually do the coaching. Like as weird as that may sound, sometimes you might need someone else could even be one of the other players to handle the situation because you just simply aren't either in the right frame of mind or you just don't have the capability in the given moment to do a certain situation. And I think that that's, that's a really crucial understanding. And I think if you're like a resourceful person and you can really utilize other resources, whether it be other coaches um, or even just other players, you can kind of, you can get to the point where you know that like what you've got, you know, like you're not the person right now for this job. And I think that that's a huge, that's, that's good for ego. It's yes. good to realize when you're just not the one to do it. Um, right. and sometimes like I, I just feign like, you know, not innocence, but I just like, sometimes I'm in a situation where I'm just like, Lauren, I, I literally am not the person to handle this, like with the kids, you know, mm -hmm. and like, like you have to just kind of know where you're at in a given situation. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Right. Uh, and I also think that it's okay to mess things up, you know, like I think yeah. a lot of it has to do with your relationship with the players or yes. your relationship. Like if the person knows that you're coming from a, from a perspective that you like, you genuinely care about what's next for them. And if you can, you know, create a good relationship with each person and party, then you can get to the point where you can actually give intense feedback. Um, right. 
and where you can then be open to their feedback towards you. And it's like, okay. And you can also be open to the idea that your, your coaching in the past wasn't correct or that what you're saying right now may need to be adjusted. And so I think if you can have real conversations rather than just one way, pushing your, your thoughts down on someone, but they can, they can respond. Uh, and then you give them time to think about it. Cause obviously if you're the coach, I mean, hopefully you've got some great perspectives and I'm sure you do for your people. And sometimes they're not ready to, to grasp what you want them to see and learn. And, and so you've got to give them that time. But if they don't, if they can't process it and if they don't feel safe and if they don't, if they don't have the time to think about it or even the time to disagree, mm-hmm. um, then they're probably not going to get the lesson. I mean, for just as an example, and this is a, even a slightly different situation, but it, mm-hmm. it almost tur- it, it did turn into a coaching situation. So there's actually a book called Choice Theory. Choice mm-hmm. Theory is all about um, just like how human beings, they want to have a sense of agency. They want to have a sense of like autonomy and responsibility. Like there's actually a theory called self-determination theory. You know what I mean? That people, mm-hmm. people need autonomy and they need to feel yes. responsible. For mm-hmm. things. Um, but the thing about choice theory is that people want to feel like they're making their own decisions. Um, not because you force them to, or because you're telling them to. So like in a re- like in a recent conversation, and this was not in a co- coaching situation, uh, I, I did an interview for like a friend of mine who is a, is a coach in California and she owns a huge coaching company. She does business coaching. Mm-hmm. And I actually went on like a summit of hers. A summit is like where they have a group of interviews and they do it on a specific amount of topics. And I got an interview. I mean, I got an email after the interview or I got a text a couple days later and she said, Ben, when are you going to share this interview with your email list? Like, or your audience? And I, replied and I said, I never was asked to, <laughs> like, I never was under the assumption that I was supposed to. Um, and, and I'm like, and honestly, I don't know if I'm going to, and I'm not, and I'm definitely not going to just because you're pressuring me to. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and actually she then, and I didn't even read these texts, but she then laid out a bunch of texts. I mean, I received a ton of texts. I actually turned my phone on airplane mode. Um, then I, I started, I woke up the next day, started writing, um, and I noticed, you know, she had sent several texts and an audio text. Oh, and I don't really know how long, but she texted me the next day, like next afternoon. She said, Ben, did you listen to the audio file? Is our relationship still good? And I said, I didn't listen to it, um, but there's nothing wrong with our relationship. Our relationship's totally fine. Um, nothing's different. I just want to let you know, like, I'm not going to do something because I feel pressured to. I, I will. I only do things because I want to do them. Uh, and after she apologized and after we talked about it, I actually wanted to then send the email and I wanted to share the thing because I was doing it for my own self. I wasn't, I, I wanted, I wanted to then do it because I wanted to do it, not because she wanted me to do it. Right. And so I think, you know, the same thing is true of parenting or coaching. Like you ultimately want your people to show up at the best level because they want to, not because you want them to. Right. Um, and you've got to give them that, that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Amen. I think what's really fascinating about all that, Right. Is that what you said? That intense feedback. I know that's something I want to explore in there of that. You know, there's the age old battle of connection versus X's and O's. And how important is that part of as a coach of understanding that if I want to be able to because I think that's the irony of intense feedback is that coaches want to go right to X's and O's. And I told you how to do it a million times. You got to do it. But they don't realize that. But if I develop that connection with you, you would be much more open to it. Talk more about that of when you're creating the environment as a coach of how important it is to be mindful of that, of as in your process. And when you look at yourself as a leader, the environment that you're creating, how important is it to think about the type of connections you're creating 
and putting that almost to the top of the list in order to get what you want out of your players and out of your staff and everybody else around you. Talk more about that of what you've learned over the years. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think it's important to define success. I think it's very important to define success as a leader. Uh, you need to be able to conceptualize and clarify what it looks like. And then you need, you know, all of the people on the team essentially to agree <laughs> that this is the best case scenario. If we win this is the worst case scenario, if we lose, and then for each individual person on the team to have in their own mind, why it matters to them. Like if they, obviously in sports, it's a little easier to have a vision, but even but the vision obviously goes beyond the championship. Like what is the ultimate vision of why we're doing this? And each player's vision is going to be a little bit different. And they, they should be able to see that being on this team and getting that championship or whatever is the catalyst to what they're actually after. Right. right. And so I think first things first is, you know, end in mind thinking and like helping people clearly see what you guys are about, what the ultimate outcome is and, and having everyone be on board. Cause if they're not on board, uh, then they're not, they shouldn't be on the team, mm -hmm. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> like, right. Um, but it's, so I think that it's really important to, to create that culture. Um, but another aspect of culture is obviously, you know, talking about it. Like you need to, you need to have ways that you guys do things that are different. I mean, I think I'm thinking about the Patriots now, you know, like they're really famous for their culture, right? Mm -hmm. But there's ways that they do things and they very much identify with those things. And if you're a part of that team, like you do things that way and you're not like the other people, it's very much an us versus them. Like, this is how we see the world. This is how we do things. This is our mission. Um, and so like, if you're not, if you don't have those characteristics in your environment and those things that make you a unique situation, then you're not going to have a shared identity, yeah. you know? Yeah, and no, so I, exactly. So you need to talk to talk about it. Like culture can't be created just by thinking of a culture. You have to actually talk about it. Um, and so I, I, I do think that rather than going straight to like the strategy, you actually probably would want to go straight to like the goal and the culture and like, you know, what, what do you got? Who are you guys trying to be? What are you guys trying to accomplish and having conversations with people and then obviously the strategy goes a lot better <laughs> yeah no i couldn't agree more i think what's really interesting about it too on top of it right is that there's the thinking and then there's the doing part and i'd love to dive into that of where a lot of times what happens with coaches is that there isn't enough of the modeling the behavior mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying this and this is what i want but then players are quick especially today's like this is the one thing that i, I try to point out to coaches all the time is the players are so much more attuned and so much smarter in a lot of ways than when we grew up. We were like, I know back in my day, <laughs> we grew up with listen to coach, no matter what coach says and coach's word means do everything. It. And that's it. Do it. Just do it. Okay. So we were soldiers, right? Now players want to know, well, why am I doing it? What does this matter? Because players invest so much time and energy into it that what coaches don't realize is now more than ever, they want to see that, well, are you in this with me or not? Or are you just telling me to do it? Because yeah, if you're telling me to do it, I, yeah, you're telling me to go work out, but you know, you don't do it yourself or you're telling me to go eat right or do whatever. And I see that you don't do any of this stuff. Well, then why should I listen to you kind of thing? Right. Or, or you're saying respect each other and then you disrespect me or disrespect other teammates. All these factors are things that you try to point out to coaches all the time. So talk about the modeling piece of how important that is of when you are creating that environment of, how important it is to be mindful of that part of things inside of your process. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that the coach has to be as in shape, for example, as the players, but right. I think that the coach needs to be better. He needs to be as good at coaching as he's expecting his players to be in their exactly. role. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you have to really show up in your role 
and then provide resources, you know, so like fitness coaches, for example, like you would hopefully provide coaching or opportunities for the players to like get to where they need to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you're not, if you're not in an amazing state of confidence yourself, you're not going to be able to create confidence in others. Like, I mean, I think that we, we all know when we're out of alignment and then when you're out of alignment, you kind of go into teaching mode rather than just like displaying excellence. And so when you're, when you're, when you're doing your things at the level that you can be, almost everything that comes out of your mouth is going to be gold because you're going to be in a state of congruence yourself. Like you're not going to be projecting your own negative uh, baggage onto your players because you're rocking it in your own realm. You know, whatever that means, you know, whatever that means for you as far as being the best version or best coach you can be so that you can achieve your goals and help your team achieve their goals. I mean, I see this in myself when I go to work and I just have a terrible day writing or like I don't do my exercise. Like I, I just, like if I just have a bad day myself, I'm going to come home and I'm not going to be a good parent to my kids. I'm just yeah. not. I'm going to come home and I'm going to be in a bad mood and I'm going to be impatient and I'm and I'm mostly just mad at myself for not being who I should have been. And then mm. I push it down on my kids, right? And so I think that when I when I get when I wake up and I'm just rocking my stuff, I you know, I visualize my goals and make progress towards them and I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing and getting better and better myself, then I go home and I just I'm freaking excited to be with my kids and I'm excited to uh to help them improve. And I'm not, and I have more energy. I mean, you know, there's obviously a lot of (laughs) research on, on emotional regulation. Like, you know, if you're exercising a lot and if you're just moving, I mean, I mean, just as an example, like there's, there's a lot of research on confidence and about how confidence is the byproduct of recent performance. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if you're not performing well in your role, you're not going to come off as confident. You're not going to be excited. You're not going to, you're not going to pull others up with you. And of course your players aren't going to really respect you you know so Mm -hmm. it's it's essential that the coach has to be modeling excellence in their sphere for for them to even be able to operate in a way that gets their players to be excited and encouraged in a way that gets them you know to be exceptional in their sphere yeah i love that love that yeah when you bring up best version you can be right what are some things that if a coach is listening right now what would be some of the main general items right obviously without getting super specific but the generality of if I can identify parts of my personality, that would be important. Where should I go digging? What kind of things should I be looking at myself if that I want to be a leader or a coach? You know, what would be those things that I could dive into and take a look at um, as I'm self-assessing myself and and trying to really figure that out, right? Because that's always the big part of the why as a coach yeah. and all that. So when we talk about personality, what are those things that I can dig into to understand about myself? you know, versus everybody else on the outside. What do I need to do? What, what do you think would be the things that I'd really yeah, need to yeah, understand? Yeah. I mean, it's impossible to be inspired by someone who doesn't have goals themselves. Um, mm. Like I wouldn't have a coach who wasn't actively being coached towards their own goals. So as a coach, you should have coaches. And as a coach, you should have goals that you're making progress towards. If, you're, if you've already arrived at your destination, then, you, then you're actually not going to be a good coach yeah. because, you know, you're only as inspiring as like, you're inspired. (laughs) And so I think, you know, this is where I think thinking of your own identity is really key. Like there's a lot of good research in in psychology that nowadays that talks about how, first off, you know, if you think about who you were five years ago, you probably are a little bit different than who you were five years ago, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So you, so it's, so your former self isn't the same person as you are today. You see things differently. You've had enough experiences. Maybe you you would do things differently than your former self would. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Your future self is also not the same person you are today. Your future self hopefully sees things a little bit better. They can make better decisions. They can coach better. Um, They can analyze situations better. Your future self is better than you, hopefully, if you've learned a lot between now and then. Mm -hmm. And so what the researchers show is that um, 
it's really, well, first off, you have to have a clear future self in mind in order to have an identity for today. Because if you don't know who you want to be, then you don't actually know who you are today. Like if you don't know where you're trying to go, then what do you do today? <laughs> you, yeah, you yeah. Know? And so your future identity actually determines your current self. Mm-hmm. But also your, your future identity allows you to make decisions here and now that are intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, other interesting research on the future self talks about how it's actually impossible to engage in deliberate practice without a clear sense of a future self. Like, and obviously deliberate practice is crucial for becoming incredible or skilled at what you do. Mm. And so, you know, as a coach, you know, and this is obviously separate from your players, but as a coach, like who is, like, who do you ultimately want to be? Like, what does that look like? Like, like really clarify and detail out your identity, especially the identity of your future self. What does that look like? And I would obviously define out the, you know, define out, you know, we've already talked about kind of visualizing the process, but I want you to visualize out your identity and the situation and what, what that looks like. Mm. Um, and then once you've done that, like what, how does that coach interact with his players? Like, how does that coach hold himself? Like how does that, cause that coach better be winning. Right. Mm. Um, but if that coach is winning, you know, like what is different about that coach than you? Um, and so I think that that's a really, really good place to start. But then I would also be getting coaching and getting support on helping you become that person. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you need to actually be engaging in your own process of becoming better, because if you're not becoming better yourself, then you're not going to have confidence. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're not going to have confidence, then you're not going to be able to coach people and help them get better because you yourself are not actually in a state of growth and development yourself. Right. Um, but if you're aggressively getting better, if you're getting coaching, and if you're actually becoming a better coach, uh, and if you're actually advancing towards your desired future self and desired circumstances, then you're going to have a lot more, I guess they would call that moral authority mm-hmm. um, to be able to help other people do the same because you can speak with conviction. Oh, look, guys, like and, and honestly, own your own weaknesses. Like, look, this is guys, this is what I'm working on right now. This is who I'm striving to become. It's very powerful. Um, like yeah. so identity is shaped by story. Identity is shaped by the story you tell. Mm-hmm. And rather than owning the story of who you've been in the past and all your credentials and why you are the way you are, actually, it's far more powerful for your story to be based on your future and to be talking about who you're striving to become, who you're, what you're doing. Like, you know, if you told your players, look, guys, I'm working on this right now in my coaching. Uh, this is what I'm striving to get better at. This is who I'm planning to be. Like, then you can give them that similar culture and environment where they can talk about who they're striving to become rather than who they currently are, because your future self is going to be different. And Love so if you, if you start to own where you're going, uh, then people can watch you as you're making progress on the way there. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Love that. I think that's the biggest part is owning who you want to be. I think that's a lot of times with coaches and especially what you just brought up. I think a lot of times there's a, the, that recycling effect with coaches of where, you know, okay. This is who I've been or whatever. This is what we've accomplished. Yeah. That, and they just stay in that mode for the next 20 years. That's uh, called being stuck in a status, yeah. which stops you from growth. Yeah, yeah. And and it's amazing how much coaches don't even realize that it's good to get coaching for yourself. Right? That's the thing that we I mean, always If you're push. not getting coaching for yourself, I would argue you're probably not that great of a coach. Yeah, yeah well, it's interesting, right? Because uh, actually, that's a big thing inside of, you know, the hockey world of you don't actually have a lot that think that way, that believe. It's um, especially in the youth realm. It's uh, It's amazing how many are just will continue to do the same systems, the same philosophy, nothing changes. And then they get upset at the kids today and the parents today and all this stuff. And it's like, well, no, it's not that they, they've changed. It's you don't change at all. It's just you stay static. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And that, and that's, that's like, bad. That's really bad. Yeah. If your coaching models are the same as they were like a year ago, then you probably didn't change enough. Like I love the quote from Elaine Day Button, you know, if you, anyone who's not embarrassed by who they were 12 months ago, didn't learn enough. Yeah. Um, love that. And you know, it's like if, if you're still coaching the same way you did a year ago or two years ago, and if you still see players the same way you did a year or two years ago, then you're not actually becoming a better coach. Boom. And if you're not becoming a better coach, then you're very much the bottleneck for, for your team. Like, it's kind of funny. Um, like obviously I have, I was to say willpower doesn't work oh, yeah. here and I have personality right here. And what's interesting is that, um, when I've recently reread willpower, um, I recently went back and reread it after I finished personality and personality, I got so much coaching through the writing process. I had a editor who has written four New York times best selling books, who has sold millions of copies of books, you know, rather than just working with a regular editor at the, um, publisher. And obviously they've got brilliant editors with, cause I'm with like one of the big publishers, but like, mm. I got I got I got editing and coaching help from someone who's sold millions of their own books and just is so much of a better writer than me, honestly. And through the process of writing this next book, like and it was grueling. Um, like now that I'm done with it, I then went back and looked at some of my former writing and I'm like, holy crap, like I'm not saying it's crap. Like I like it, right, but right. like I'm not the same person who would write willpower doesn't work today. Like right. I would although I like the book in many instances. I myself, the human being that I am today, would not write write that book in its current state, even mm. though I think there's still a lot of great stuff in there. Mm. Um, and I think it's good to be able to, and this goes back to measuring progress. You know, like that's what you would do like 30 to 60 days, like to your players, but even to yourself. Like if you can go back and look at like either your tape or even look at your like schemes and strategies and look at how you were doing things a year ago or six months ago and you can see tangible progress, like wow. No. that helps you to see that you're growing as well. And I think that that's essential. That's essential for all people. I mean, I think that's essential for parents. Yeah. I think if you're not growing as a parent, then like you're going to be pretty limited as a human being for the type of transformation you can create in your kids as a mm -hmm. coach. I mean, coaches have such an opportunity to transform people's lives. Um, yeah. And so they need to also be growing and transforming themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the big part is how to keep that top of mind all the time. Because a lot of times I know that it can be a grind when the stress kicks in. And, you know, it's tough during the season. And if a team's not doing as well, a coach takes that on, right? And understanding how to manage that comes a lot from how to manage yourself. Because at the end of the day, parents don't know, they don't, you know, or players that are on your team, they don't know where the future is going. So what you put off is so important of how you manage yourself all the time. And it comes back to that modeling piece, that if that confidence is there, other people will see and feel of, okay, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. So, yeah, I mean, just one, I'm, I'll provide a, re a resource because there's this, this is a, this is about entrepreneurial coaching, but I think it would be useful. And this mm -hmm. is a free, you know, I think you could probably find a link on this. It's called the self-managing company by Dan Sullivan. Yep. Uh, it's a free ebook that people can download, but Dan Sullivan's perspective is, is that if you're not creating a company that manages itself, but if you're still the one managing the company, <laughs> then that's a problem. Like the goal is, is to actually create people who manage themselves. They've got the vision. They're really clear but they can self-regulate. They can make their own decisions. You've allowed them to make their own decisions. You don't overly critique how they do things because how they do things is different than how you would do things. And um, I think that that's, that would be crucial as a coach. You know, and if you don't even have that vision to create a self-managing team versus you're still managing the team, like if you can be the leader and you can provide the vision and you can provide the support and kind of the emotional needs or whatever to help the players along the way, but if you can create a sense that the team manages themselves, you know, like, that, and, and that book just really provides a lot of good perspectives on coaching, honestly, yeah. even though it's different to coach entrepreneurs versus coaching a team. Um, I think that it's kind of a similar concept because every entrepreneur actually has a team. 
And one of the things that Dan actually talks about in that is that the team very much models the entrepreneur. Like Mm -hmm. if the entrepreneur doesn't, for example, take time to like recover, like take breaks from work and recover and like, you know, just like actually live a decent life, like, you know, they're, they're not going to, they're, the team is just going to model you. And if, if you are living in an optimal state where you're being creative and you're inspired and you're just, you're excited and you're happy. And if you're treating yourself well, like that, you're like the number one resource in your company or you're the number one resource on your team. Um, then your team will start to adopt similar mindsets. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And actually, it touches on perfectly of the high stress versus high recovery type of environments, right? Yes. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that because the one of the things that... I love that. Yeah, like the two different worlds that exist. At the youth realm, you know, I always make the argument of there's so much high stress, high stress, high stress. But the number one thing I deal with all the time with our younger players is sleep. You're not getting enough sleep. And it's the same thing with our older players of where now in the professional you know, realm and they're starting to understand, get a better understanding of it, but it's still out there of where not giving enough time to recover, where it's like, we get off the bus, let's go, we're going to skate, we're in the gym. And you just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And during the season, it just wears bodies down. Let's talk about a little bit about that of the high stress right, versus high recovery, because I know, especially for a lot of our listeners, they are dealing with the professional players and stuff like that. And so it's being mindful of this part of the journey of where that part of your your coaching has to be. You have to be very mindful of this part. What's your take on that? I'd love to hear, hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think it's very interesting in the NBA right now because there's such a conversation around. I don't know mm. if you've heard about this, like load management, et cetera. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. There's such mm-hmm. a there's such a hot debate on this subject. Um, but when it comes to like actually improving performance, I think from a physical standpoint, like if you're exercising in the gym and trying to actually meet meet specific goals, because obviously you can just keep hitting, hitting, hitting. It's kind of like there's a, a difference between r- routine practice and deliberate practice. Routine yeah. practice would be like going to the gym every day and doing the same workout every single day mm-hmm. with no specific goal in mind. Deliberate practice is like you have a very clear goal in mind and the practice is targeted towards reaching the goal. Mm-hmm. And you have to then measure progress along the way. And if you're not actually making progress, then you're not getting closer to the goal. And so you have to change the process. Um, yeah. And in order to like increase your like weight, for example, like exercising, obviously you need to do a lot of recovery. It's during the recovery that your muscles actually become stronger, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the same is true of creativity. Like research shows that 16% of create, creative ideas happen while you're sitting at work. Like most of them are going to mm-hmm. happen while you're driving home or while you're in the shower, while you're relaxing. And so if you're not taking interval breaks, um, then you're not actually recovering to the state where you can then perform in a new sense or in a new way. And so I think that recovery is essential. I mean, what, you know, LeBron James's fitness coach says is that everything starts and ends with recovery. Like that's the starting point, not the ending point. Like that's not actually like, and I think that that's the opposite of how most people do things. Most people squeeze in recovery. Where, right. Whereas, like, I think the most elite performers, they prioritize recovery first, mm. and then they and then they have very targeted practices that are intense. It's high stress. Yes. Um, you know, the training is, like, intense. That's why it's deliberate, and it's it, it crushes you. But then because you've then pushed yourself to certain levels, then you recover in, in a really intelligent way. And this is, I think, how you can measurably make progress. <laughs> uh, mm. Otherwise... I think you're you're kind of always just grinding and never actually getting better. I mean, you can make huge leaps in your performance if you're measured, uh, and obviously you got to like perform in a in a rested state. I mean, obviously, in, I understand the constraints of being in a season and doing like 50 games or however it is, and right. you you know, I mean, there's obviously constraints to this, but 
you've got to maximize the recovery. I mean, it's very much the principle of like, if you had six hours to chop down a tree, you'd spend four of them sharpening the saw. Mm, like, exactly. Rather than just doing the same thing over and over, it's like, okay, how do I, how do we do this better? Like, how do we get you in the right frame of mind? Like, how do we, you know, obviously sleep is essential. Like, but like, oh, yeah. like a practice where someone's recovered and if you can like target things versus just doing the same thing over and over is going to, is going to change everything. And yeah. so I think it's just thinking in terms of quality versus quantity and thinking, how do you get, you know, and also I, I think about recovery in terms of thinking about results versus thinking about an obsession with effort and time. Like how do you get the ultimate result that you're looking for in the most effective mm. way? Yeah. And I think once you start thinking in terms of results, you'll start thinking in terms of recovery and quality versus just doing things that we've always done them. Yeah, love that, love that. And I, I think a big challenge too is that getting back to some of the environmental factors of when we get into that quality piece and you're creating the environment, right, of the habits that you want to put in place. Yes, yes. So talk a little bit more about the performance habits and you know when you look at that process of trying to create and see, okay, this is the environment that I want to create. How deliberate and how much time? Like you just said, with sharpening the saw, I think that's a big part. Like I've watched so many coaches where literally it's like we come in 20 minutes before practice and it's like, okay, guys, what are you thinking today? No purpose, no anything. And just like everyone's and it's just like, okay, what are we all thinking today? Yeah, let's do this, let's do this. And it's it was amazing to me to sit and just watch that unfold and go, how is that going to help anything? So, you know, talk about from a high performance standpoint, how important that sharpening the saw and then that being deliberate about the environmental factors of the habits and, and how important it is to understand the reality of that it compounds over time. And, you know, give us your take on that of like as a coach, when you're looking at that, how important that is to be mindful of. Yeah. I mean, I think that a big key here is, is that you can't be intentional unless you know where you're going. Mm -hmm. And if you're not being intentional you know, for example, your guy walking in with no plan. Mm -hmm. If you're not walking in with an intention, then you're basically walking in without a direction. And if you don't have a direction, you're not a leader. <laughs> yeah. And so if you, you know, if you're not a leader, then people aren't going to have confidence in you. Um, and so I think that, you know, you need to give your space to be intentional, give yourself space to receive inspiration. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so like if, as an example, late at night rather than just being on the on the phone or you know so ba so basically at the end of the day usually you've worked yourself to death you know you've done all sorts of things you've made all sorts of decisions therefore yeah. your willpower is very low yes. low willpower leads to uh short-term thinking and short-term decision making high dopamine seeking so usually that would be in the form of binging out on junk food yeah. uh binging out on like the internet and or just whatever just any way you're, you're getting short-term inputs that yeah. lead to the very quick term dopamine. Um, mm -hmm. and, th and that actually then will crush your next morning. Uh, mm. It kills your confidence. It kills your sleep. You know, there's a lot of good research on staring at screens before bed. Uh, it's a lot better to kind of zone down, have an evening routine, unplug. Uh, there's a lot of research that talks about what's called psychological detachment from work, but essentially like mm. having a process where you turn off the brain, let it go. And, and then you can kind of, you have a plan or a sense in mind about what you're going to do the next day to get yourself mentally ready for whatever you want to focus on the next day or for the next week. But then you have to just turn it off. And actually while you're off, you're going to get loaded up with so many amazing insights, you know? Um, mm. but, but, um, while you're off, you know, you, you be present. I mean, it's important to be present in the other aspects of your life, but also to tangibly like turn off your brain and recover and like go to bed. Mm. And then when you wake up, wake up with a specific plan like wake up and actually right. 
I mean, I think journaling is so key in the morning. Like journaling, sure. wake up, get it, get yourself into a, a into a clear environment. Mm-hmm. Don't 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 plug into all the inputs and start thinking about your team. Start thinking about your goals. And if you actually are in a quiet environment, and if you're not all getting all these crazy pings from your phone and from your email, but if you're just like spaced out and you've meditated before or prayed or however you want to do things, get yourself into the right frame of mind. Um, and just pull out your journal and think about your team. Think about your players. Think about you know, and you give yourself literally the space to think. And if you're journaling about your team or your players or what you need to do today or this week, um, and if you're thinking in terms of your goal and in terms of your future self and in terms of your players, uh, if you do that on a daily basis, you're going to come once you're going to get a lot of ideas and insights um, and you're going to be able to write those down. And then you're going to be able to take those to your team and to your practices or to however you're approaching things. And you're going to seem very inspired because you've actually given yourself the time to think about things and you're moving forward intentionally and you're going to give relevant, very specific, nuanced feedback and guidance to either a specific practice. You may feel inspired. We need to do this for our practice right now Mm -hmm. because of of what just happened in last week's game. Like if you don't give yourself the space to think, but then you're just on the way to work and just drinking your coffee real fast and like, okay, what do we do today? You're going to miss so much. But if you're doing that kind of stuff every day where you're visualizing and thinking about and writing about just your situation, what you need to work on. Over time, that does compound. Over time, yeah. you're you're living far more intentionally. And if you're living intentionally, you have more of what are called peak experiences, where those peak experiences are where you learn and you start to see things differently and you get ahas and insights that weren't available to you before. And so if you're not doing that kind of stuff, then you've wasted so much potential. There's mm. so many insights and pearls about your team, about individuals on your team or about your situation or about what you could be doing that you've just missed. And essentially, you're just kind of going through the routine and you're yeah. not actually being an inspired, brilliant coach who's getting individual insights about all your players and about situations. Instead, you're just going through the motions. Therefore, I don't think you're the best leader you could have been. And it's, yeah. it's really, it really comes down to just a few small tweaks, You know, giving yourself the space to actually get good sleep, giving yourself the space to actually think about and visualize and think about your situation and what needs to be happening right now with your team or this week or with this individual. Um, yeah. 20, 30 minutes a day of just sitting and thinking and reflecting and a journal is just a good spot to just kind of scribble things out. Uh, you start doing that, you'll you'll see the right things to focus on, and then if you focus on those things, you'll start making huge progress. Yeah, yeah, I love that. What do you say to the coach that thinks, you know, hey, I'm set in my ways. This is the way it is. It's kind of pulling back to the personality piece, right? Of I don't where... think that, that person should be a coach. Yeah. I really yeah. don't. If someone thinks that they can't change, then I wouldn't want them to try to change someone else. And yeah. that's really what coaching is. I yeah. mean, coaching is not, I mean, coaching is about helping people maximize themselves and evolve and transform. And so if there's someone who doesn't think that they can change themselves, I don't think that they should be a coach. I think that they should get out of there. Yeah. Uh, I think that they're, and I, and I, you know, we all have fixed mindsets about various aspects of ourselves. Right. I, you know, and, and the reason this person, you know, fixed mindsets come from traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, they come from, and so this coach is defined by former experiences. Um, yeah. Could be failings as a coach. It could be something they did wrong in the past. Yeah. Um, and so, when you have a fixed mindset, you've got to go back and reframe whatever experiences led you to that. You know, you've got to go back and you've got to kind of figure out why. Why do I see myself in such a limited way? Like why? Why? Um, you know, and you can reframe the past. I mean, memory is very flexible, very fluid. Like memories yeah. are not a, a filing cabinet. There's something you construct every moment. Yeah. So so like uh, Covey said, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Yeah. And that's true of our past. We don't see the past as it is. We see the past as we are. And so you can actually journal about your former experiences and you can reframe the meaning of those experiences. If you had bad episodes, which we all have, right. of things that didn't go right, which have led you to either losing your why or losing 
your confidence that you can keep going um, or that you can keep evolving or that you can keep progressing. Essentially, your, con- your confidence has plummeted. You can go back to those experiences um, and, and rethink, what did, what did I learn from this? Or what am I going to do different as a result of this? Um, what would my future self <laughs> say about this experience? Right. Uh, and realizing that you're not the same person you used to be. Maybe some of the mistakes you made or the failures you had in the past were based on your current your context back then, but now you're in a different situation, and you have wisdom that you didn't have before. You have perspective. You have a different team. You're in a different situation. Your future self is also going to be in a different situation. Yeah. Uh, there's one other really good quote, and that's, this comes from Peter Levine. He's a trauma expert, but he said that trauma isn't what happens to you. It's what you hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. Mm. So I think that. that big problem with getting caught up in something is, is that you don't tell people about it. You don't say, right. this is this really hit me, this really hurt me, really destroyed my confidence, um, but, I, but I'm ready to get over this. And, get, and they get people to encourage you and get people to help you go in again. And yeah, you know, exactly. confidence, confidence shatters imagination, or sorry, uh, trauma shatters imagination and it shatters flexibility. And right. flex, flexibility and imagination are required for learning. <laughs> right, exactly. And so you, you need to be, you know, you need to resolve the issues of the past and then become flexible again and, and start to start to get goals again yeah. and start to be moving towards those goals. Yeah. I think what's so important about, you know, the whole idea also from an environmental factor is the people you're surrounding yourself with. I think that's the hardest part. Like one of the things I always push on, right, is that it's big. It's big. It's it's huge, right? Like I look at like one of the ideas that I always put out, and and I know it's a little bit done more in Europe culture, in European culture with the younger players. But the one thing I've never understood is what would happen if we put more of younger players, you know, eight, nine, ten around the players that were thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. And, amazing for those kids. Yeah, they would really mimic and grow into grow into it faster, especially if the players were great. You know, yeah, one hundred percent, right? And I mean, that's, I think that's genius. Yeah, and and that's the part that culturally here doesn't happen. You've got your U twelve, U fourteen, U sixteen, and that's the way the system is, and we're not going to go outside of it. No, no, you can't go practice. Your U twelve, no, you can't practice U sixteen. No, 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 we're not doing that. People will be upset. Blah blah blah. But it's been fascinating for me to see over the years of something so simple. That could easily be done by organizations that, no, we're just fixed and this is the way it's always been and we can't change the yeah, system. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting to me from a coaching yeah. standpoint as well, right, of where I see coaches a lot of times too are afraid to have be surrounded by somebody that might be better at them than them at certain parts of their coaching. And that, that flexibility, right, talk about that part of how important that part is of understanding yourself as a coach, of where having that ability to be flexible and be mindful of, opening up because it's tough. I know it's tough to like, there's the trust factor, right? There's the comfortability of, well, I know this person, so I want to bring them in because I trust them. But there's then there's the other side of, yeah, you might trust them, but are they pushing you to make you better? And I think that's the dynamic that usually goes into a lot of these coaching situations that I've seen over the years is that are you intentionally going and looking for an environment that's going to push you past your limit, that's going to help you to grow past or are you just staying with the people that are always surrounding you, you, you? And talk about that a little bit more. I'd love to hear your take on that part of how important that is. Yeah. I mean, social environment is a huge predictor of personality, obviously. So, like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of research on, like, your social group influences, almost determines, <laughs> literally, um, like, whether or not you're going to be a good student, whether or not you're going to be an extracurricular student, like, whether or not you're going to, like, be a drug addict, whether or not you're going to be an entrepreneur, whether or not you're going to be a millionaire. Like, all of these things are shaped and very heavily predicted by social group, peer group. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, from what you were saying at the end, as a coach, what does your peer group look like, right? Like, yeah. 
because there's a concept called like there's, so there's a primary like a primary effect which is basically your direct influence on people but there's a secondary effect mm. so your your players are not only influenced by you but they're influenced by the people that influence you mm. and so like you know there's that idea like obviously you're you're uh, the product of the five people that surround you you know what i mean mm. um but the people you surround yourself with are also the product of the five people they surround themselves with mm. it's you know and so like are the people you're surrounding yourself with surrounded by losers <laughs> losers or are they surrounded by people who are getting better? Because if right. not, then they're actually going to be negatively impacting you. Yeah. And so your ability to influence your team in large measure has a lot to do with even how you're being influenced yourself by your peer group. Like there's a quote that says your input shapes your outlook and your outlook shapes your output. Yeah. And so if you're surrounded by people who are not inspiring you, then how did the heck do you think you can inspire your team? Like you need to increasingly be... Because the people who are influencing you are indirectly influencing your team. Yeah. They're doing it through you. Exactly. And so you need to be very aware of how you're being influenced by what's around you, by who you're around. Because if you is literally impacting your team, like mm. your friends are indirectly impacting your player's performance. Right. It's, I mean, that's a crazy reality is like, yeah, you keep hanging out with that guy and that's, that's subconsciously leading you to being a less quality coach, which is limiting the future of your players. Yeah. And so just realizing that your peer group really matters. It influences you, but it indirectly influences everyone that you influence. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crucial. Yeah, it's huge. Here's something that's interesting of kind of on that same topic, but I know a lot of coaches deal with an issue of where you have a certain kind of player you're looking for to bring into your culture. And I, I know a big issue that a lot of coaches deal with is how do you deal with the player that is this leader type of player based off their performance? They're talented. They have a lot going for them, but they're a negative suck of energy on the team because they don't care. They're not as bought in and they kind of want to do their own thing. What's your take on that type of player? Because environmentally, a lot of times what happens is you can bring it back to parent parental or just not having the guidance or not having the leadership at home to bring with them to the rank, you know, or to whatever environment they're coming to with the team. What's, what's your thoughts on that part of how to get through and kind of bring that player into the mix in some way how can you be a source of influence? What are things to pay attention to? Because this is a this is a major issue a lot of coaches deal with. That while well, I'm with you five hours a week, six hours a week, your parents are with you or your family or whoever else is with you way more time. You know, talk about that part of what are things as a coach that I can be mindful of and try to instill um, inside of a culture where I might be in a situation like that. Mm -hmm. I'd recommend reading a book. But I'll, I'll provide you a few insights. Have you ever read the book or heard of the book Tribal Leadership? Tribal Leadership, I've heard of it, yep. It's a great book. It talks about three stages of tribal culture. Mm -hmm. One being like a, they call it stage three culture, where there's a lot of internal competition, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. And then, you know, so this is kind of like Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. Like they, 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 they killed it together winning three competition or three championships in L.A. They would have won like five or six together if they w could have stopped competing with each other. Right. Yeah, sure. Like and could have bought into the we versus the me. Right. Uh -huh. Interesting. Yeah. And so like they compare the Lakers versus the, uh, the versus the Bulls. Right. Chicago mm -hmm. Bulls who ended up like Michael Jordan in a lot of ways, like did develop a far more team-based mindset, you know, even mm -hmm. though he was like the best, right? Like there was a lot of other team players and stuff like that. And, and so like they went from Michael being me to we, and obviously they created a dynasty. Yeah. And so I, I think that with like an individual player, and I think that, you know, there's actually a, you know, a book called 11 rings, the soul of success. So yeah. this is a separate book, but this mm -hmm. is by Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson yeah. 
And the book is literally based on the philosophy of the book Tribal Leadership, which is a bunch of research that's been done on org cultures and, and small groups. And so um, Phil Jackson really explains the differences and the dynamics of how he was able to like help Michael and the Bulls versus his inability in some ways to help, you know, Shaquille O'Neal and, and Kobe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so he explains it in far more depth than I could in a single question. But I do think that with a kid or even a player, you could talk to them about what's going on. You know what I mean? And talk, I mean, I think you have to talk to them about what's going on. And I mean, I would argue that you're better off without them if they won't change. You know, even if they've got amazing talent, if they're pulling the culture and the team down, you're better off without them. Right. And so talking to them about what's going on and, and why, you know, like the like the literal impact of what's going on, I think, is crucial. But also, again, kind of going back to the concept of labels, mm-hmm. not not assuming the worst, like they're acting a certain way as a coping mechanism. It's a mm-hmm. lack of emotional intelligence. It's a lack of emotional ability. This person wants to win. Uh, they have low social IQ because <laughs> they're literally crippling themselves and the team and they don't know it and they've got an ego and stuff. And so mm-hmm. I think helping them realize, like investing in them and help and listening to them and actually talking to them. Um, I think listening to people is, is something that we don't do enough. Like we very much want our perspective to be slammed down without having empathy and perspective of what's going on. Also, you know, and I think you hit it on the head realizing there's other factors going on for why this person is showing up the way they did mm-hmm. and taking those into account, but also helping helping the player understand that they can be a leader, that obviously this person has amazing skill and that they they don't have to be doing things the way they are doing it. I think you just have to have amazing conversations with these people and be right. patient with them and give them shots and give them chances and, and you know, move, get put them in situations where they can succeed. Give them right. small wins. You know, that's how you build confidence. Give them small opportunities to succeed. And uh, if it just proves that it's absolutely not going to work, you know, mm-hmm. and you've gotten to the point where it's just obvious, like then probably you've got to save the culture. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I love that, how you frame that of the small wins of just taking charge in that because it makes all the difference in the world. One of the things in our culture, we call it selling my points, right? Because in hockey, it's selling. But at the end of the day, it's take a look at what did you do? How many steps did you take today? You know, versus the negativity of, oh, I didn't get this done and all that fun stuff. So I love how you frame that uh, for coaches to be able to look at and go, Start with those small wins, you know, because I, mean, I think vulnerability too, like being vulnerable with this player, oh, that, like yeah. you're trying to get things, good, but also creating a vulnerability aspect of the whole team. Like yes. that you talk to this player and you say like, look, dude, we, things have got to change because this is negatively impacting everyone mm-hmm. and helping them become open, not only with you, but the rest of the team about why they're showing up the way they do and, and getting the team to encourage and support them in the changes that they're trying to make. I mean, that's the whole trauma doesn't happen to you. It's what you hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. Yeah. If you can have the whole team encouraging in you and supporting you to becoming who you can be and then, then giving you feedback when, when you're not showing up that way. Mm. And then you got to then ask yourself, look, like you keep doing this thing. Like, do you want what's best for the team or are you just going to keep it about you? And if it's yeah. about you, then the team's going to reject you. Yeah, exactly. Well, that vulnerability piece is such a huge piece. That's so hard you know, for coaches, because there's has to be that tough, I'm tough image, you know, that's instilled in the culture, right? Where being vulnerable, and you can still and be up. rock solid and 100%. still be vulnerable. Oh, 100%. 100%. And I think that's the part that there's still a lot of coaches that struggle with that, of understanding what that means. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough. Especially, you know, if you're, you're older in the culture and you haven't had those experiences, it's tougher to get over. But, you know, again, it's all has to do with experience, right? Environment, all that stuff, and who you're influenced by, and all that fun stuff. So, 
Awesome stuff, man. Uh, well, thank you so much. Uh, one of the things that uh, I'd love to kind of finish things off with is that if you take a look at your younger self and you said, mm -hmm. hey, all right, here's the things I want you to pay attention to. If you look back and think, all right, I'm, who I am now versus then, what would be the thing that you tell your younger self? Hey, pay attention to this kid and be better at this. Um, I think that, I, I mean, I think a lot of what we've talked about today, I think beware of your social situation would be one that I would definitely tell my former self. My former self was ne very heavily negative, negatively impacted by, by the wrong friends. Mm. Um, also just encouragement, encouragement that things will work out. I think that even my future self, like if you think about who would you, what would your future self say to you right now? Yeah. Usually it would be encouragement. Like, dude, you're going to make it. You're going to, you're going to get where you want to go. And I think we spend so much of our time doubting or questioning or worrying versus like just trusting and having the confidence that like, I'm going to get where I'm striving to go. Um, and so I think just the encouragement along the way, um, that like you're gonna you're gonna do great things you're gonna be fine like right now i know you're dealing with a lot but you're gonna you're gonna be all right love it love it awesome and i think i think that people need to hear that you yes. know what i mean oh 100 100 they really need to hear that there's enough negativity going on that's always i mean uh... encouragement is one of the most crucial things for development you yeah. know i mean if you don't have people around you that encourage you and and get you to believe you're going to develop a fixed mindset you're going to hit some glass ceiling you're going to have a fragile identity and then you're going to limit your goals um, and so you need encouragement to break through those plateaus. Huge. And on that note, thank you so much for taking the time and spending with us. Uh, this was awesome. I know I got enlightened and learned a ton. And uh, thank you very much for taking the time here and uh, sharing your wisdom with us. Dude, just happy to be with you, man. It was fun. I love the idea of uh, hockey coaches, dude. So cool. <laughs> awesome, man. What an important conversation, eh? Uh, this man is truly a gem. Yeah, I, I can't recommend his latest book highly enough, guys. Uh, as a performance coach, it was full of so many useful and important concepts that have significantly helped our development messaging to our own players. Uh, as always, we'd love to hear your feedback and thoughts about the time we just shared with uh, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. What did you take away? Was there anything that was uh, helpful for you as a coach or student of the game? We'd love to hear and learn how this unique conversation may have inspired you to be a better coach for the game. Let us know your thoughts in the comments. And as always, please remember to hit the subscribe button if you love to stay up to date with our new episodes. If you enjoyed this content, please make sure to join our private Facebook group called Roger Nielsen's Coaches Connection. Stay up to date with all of your hockey coaching development needs. Our coaching group includes NHL, pro, college, junior, and youth coaches from all over the world. Thank you for taking the time to listen in. Hope to see you in our online coaching community. Stay safe, everybody.